Thanks for uh, thanks for being here. Those of you who don't know me, I have been, I've been away for the past couple of weeks, uh, one on vacation and another time just uh, spending some study time. Every year I, I, I seek to get away. In fact, every day, every day I try to give God that first hour of my day to kind of set the, the tone of the day, uh, sets my attitude on course, sets my life on course, my thoughts on course in that first hour of the day. Also give God a, a day out of every week. Thus, for some of y'all, this is your day. You're going to give it to him. Hopefully you don't let anything else come in, come, come in way of it, other commitments, outside commitments or whatever. This is just God's day to launch your week, start your week. But I try to give God a week out of every year where I pull aside in silence and solitude in scripture and listen and lean in and, and, and pray about and think about what, where God, where are you leading us into the future? Where are you leading me in the future? What are you doing in my life? What are you doing in our life corporately as a church? And in a few weeks, we're going to start a new series of messages uh, that I'm calling Go for the Gold. And it's really a series that's going to coincide with the, the Olympics. I don't know about you. I'm ready for the Olympics. I get excited all, all along. I have a man crush on these men Olympians uh, who are gymnasts and all that they can do, iron crosses, whatever you want to call it. Uh, it's just a, an incredible uh, to see these athletes and all that they go through to become who they are. And we're going to not talk about athletes as much as we're going to talk about the gold or the rewards, not of an athlete, but of a follower of Christ. And we're going to be looking at the crowns uh, that are mentioned in the scriptures that will be given to those who live a certain way uh, in, in, in heaven. So, it's kind of a, a series of messages that I look forward to sharing uh, and being a part of. Now, in this time of solitude and silence, I really do try to unplug social media, unplug television. I, I, don't, I don't watch anything. I just am diving in and listening deeply. In fact, it was two or three days after the Dallas shootings before I even knew anything went on. It, I kind of put myself in this kind of intentional hole uh, to just really hear from God. And man, when I came out of that hole and I saw and I heard and I read and I watched, I couldn't believe it. And then, the, and then, and it was a response to this and, and this, this, this what's going on in our country. And it, it took me back. Well, didn't we just hear this just a few months ago and, or a few weeks ago in, in Orlando and this nightclub and the shooting and, and the, and you can talk about the, the hate and the racism and the bitterness and the fighting. And I think, what are we coming to? What is, what, where are we heading as a country? In the past 30 days from June 12th to July 7th, you think about that time period, 53 people were gunned down. 54 of them were killed by two people. Innocently. In our last service, now some of you already know this, in our last service I'm talking about this message, there had been another shooting in Baton Rouge. This past, uh, today, I'm thinking, I, I, I literally I get a notification on my iPad. I'm up here. I, I don't read the notifications when I'm preaching, but I saw it there. I got off the stage, looked at the notification, and there's another shooting. I'm thinking, are, are we mad or something? What, what, what's it going to take to, to bring a, a change to this? And of course, the presidential candidates are, 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 are either stirring it up or adding to it or giving their solutions or whatever. And is the answer, okay, we're going to make uh, uh, guns harder to get to. Maybe that's, maybe that's it. Well, we're going to take guns away. Or, or maybe what we need to do is we need to give out more guns and, and, and arm people. And we're going we're gonna to shoot the hate away and we're going to kill the hate away. Or are we going to take the hate away by taking the guns away? And, and you, you hear all 
all these different answers. And, and I think, really, is, is, is that the answer? Because if it was, whatever one of those, I, w- I, would, I would be certainly open for discussion. But I really don't see those as the answers. I don't, I, don't, I don't see how stricter gun laws or, or lesser gun laws, and, and yet we're having all of this come out of these hashtags of black life matters or blue life matters or LGBT life matters and everything's life matters and you know, the unborn life matters. When are we just going to say life matters? When are we just going to say humanity matters? When are we just going to say people matter? But see, what we've done in our culture is we're isolating ourselves even more and more as we're trying to one-up the other person who just did me wrong. Are we going to build walls to, to keep out a certain people? Are we, are we, you know, what, what, is the, what is the answer? And I know I'm meddling here because there's different opinions and there's emotional buy-in to all of this, but what is it going to take to get rid of the hate? That's the question. And I want to challenge you today that, it, that, that more legislation and, and greater gun laws or lesser gun laws is not going to get rid of the hate. Then this is going to sound kind of, um, kind of uh, mystical, but the only thing that's going to drive out hate is love. Now, hang with me on that because some of y'all think it's a little Pollyanny, so hang with me on that. Because if you think about what is it, which is greater, darkness or light? Just, just dwell on that one for a moment. If you have darkness and you turn on the light, light overpowers darkness and light drives out darkness. So one is greater than the other. And I want to tell you today, and I want to wear it today, and I want to live it today, that love is greater than hate. So, if love is greater than hate, how is it that we can get more love in the world so that we can embrace each other more and accept each other more? We don't have to agree with everyone on political parties or on or moral values. I'm not, I'm not condoning a, a life of, of some utopia of tolerance and, and we're all just going to give hugs and kisses to, to one another. That's not going to happen. But let me just say this, because I'm a big proponent of this, that I really believe with Bill Hybels that the hope of the world lies in the church. Now, I'm going to back into that, okay? I want you to just kind of rest on that one for a moment. That how is it that that we, as a church, actually carry this message and and should live this message and should model this message and should be this message in a world that obviously only has hate growing? And whether it's the Baton Rouge shootings this morning or it's the, the Paris uh, attack on, on, on this past weekend or, or it's Dallas uh, two weeks ago or it's Orlando less than a month ago, when, when is it going to stop? And, how are we, and I want to say that the church holds inside of its being the, in its presence. It has the answer and the love. The best way, you've heard this around here, the best way to bless a community is to start a church. It's the only organization that will bless a community, body, soul, and spirit. I really believe that. You hear me espouse that. It is the only, you think about the Rotary Club, you think about the government, you think about institutions, you think about, do they bless a community, body, soul, and spirit? The only the church that is fully alive and being and living as the church should be, then it is going to bless the community. Yes, only 17% of Americans on any given weekend are part of a church. What's the deal? How are we going to drive out the hate, push out the hate? Because in reality, this world 
that we are living in is, I'm not an opportunist here. I'm not trying to go, okay, let's talk about this because of these dark times, but it's just the reality. It's here. And are, or do we have an answer or who has the answer? And I want to propose the church has an answer. And it's not going to be. In fact, you ask the world, you ask the unbelievers, you ask those who are millennials, you ask, you ask the youngers, you ask the olders. This is a study that was done by Barna, just released before the, the Dallas shootings. You even ask those who don't have a faith at all, the atheists, the agnostics, the nuns, and 53% of them are looking to the church to provide answers and reconciliation. Can you imagine now that we as, as the church in the unbelieving world is even saying, okay, church, if there's ever a time to rise up and show us why you exist and show us your value and show us what the value add to our communities, please bring us back together. Please show us that love is greater than hate. And I want to say this. It's going to start when we start breaking down the labels. We start getting rid of name-calling and bigotry and racism and calling people names and labeling even ourselves. We're not labels. We're humanity. We're the only Entity of God's creative order that he breathed life into. We're the only ones who bear the image of God Almighty. We're the only ones of his creation so that does elevate us. In that elevation, we are called humanity. We're not called LGBT. We're not called white. We're not called Republican. We're not called black. We're not, we are called humanity. I want you to watch this video and think about that. I am not black. I mean, that's what the world calls me, but it's not me. I didn't come out of my mother's womb saying, hey, everybody, I'm black. No, I was taught to be black. And you were taught to call me that, along with whatever you call yourself. It's just a label. See, from birth, the world force feeds us these labels, and eventually we all swallow them. We digest and accept the labels, never, ever doubting them. But there's one problem. Labels are not you, and labels are not me. Labels are just labels. But who we truly are is not skin deep. See, when I drive my car, no one would ever confuse the car for me. Well, when I drive my body, why do you confuse me for my body? It's my body. Get it? Not me. Let me break it down. See, our bodies are just cars that we operate and drive around. The dealership we call society decided to label mine the black edition, yours the Irish or white edition. And with no money down, 0% APR, and no test drive, we were forced to own these cars for the rest of our lives. Forgive me, but I fail to see the logic or pride in defining myself or judging another by the cars we drive. Because who we truly are is found inside. 
Listen, I'm not here to tell you how science has concluded that genetically we're all mixed and race in the human species doesn't exist or how every historian knows that race was invented in the 15th century to divide people from each other and it has worked perfectly. No, I'm not here to lecture. I just want to ask one question. Who would you be if the world never gave you a label? Never gave you a box to check? Would you be white, black, Mexican, Asian, Native American, Middle Eastern, Indian? No, we would be one. We would be together. No longer living in the era of calling human beings black people or white people. These labels that will forever blind us from seeing a person for who they are but instead seeing them through the judgmental, prejudicial, artificial filters of who we think they are. And when you let an artificial label define yourself, then my friend, you have chosen smallness over greatness and minimized yourself, confined and divided yourself from others. And it is an undeniable fact that where there is division, there will be conflict and conflict starts wars. Therefore, every war has started over labels. It's always us versus them. So the answer to war, racism, sexism and every other ism is so simple that every politician has missed it. It's the labels. We must rip them off. Isn't it funny how no baby is born racist, yet every baby cries when they hear the cries of another? No matter the gender, culture, or color, proving that deep down we were meant to connect and care for each other. That is our mission, and that is not my opinion. That is the truth in a world that has sold us fiction. Please listen, labels only distort our vision, which is why half of those watching this will dismiss it or feel resistance and conflicted. But just remember, so did the caterpillar before it broke through its shell and became the magnificent butterfly. Well, these labels are our shells and we must do the same thing so we can finally spread our wings. Human beings were not meant to be slapped with labels like groceries and supermarkets. DNA cannot be regulated by the FDA. We were meant to be free and only until we remove them all and stop living and thinking so small will we be free to see ourselves and each other for who we truly are. Today, take off your label. You are not white or black. You're not Republican or Democrat. You're not LGBT. You're not gay versus straight. You are a person who God put on this planet who God so loved. In fact, I want you to say this statement with me. God so loved the world. Now finish it. Everyone in the world. I love it that we don't know the, the, the size, the, we don't know the hairstyle, we don't know the, the skin color of Adam and Eve. We don't know it, what it was in that perfect garden, in, a, in that perfect world. But even as imperfection comes in, division comes in, separation comes in, we see that God didn't stop loving us. With all of our imperfections, in fact, he pours on his love. And here's what we realize is that God's gift, love gift to the world is in the, in, in the form of his son, Jesus. God so loved the world that he gave us his one and only son.
And here's where I want to come back to what I was saying earlier about the church is because God's, Jesus's love gift to the world is his church. The church isn't my idea, isn't your idea, isn't somebody else's idea, isn't the Pope's idea. It's nobody's idea. It was an idea in the heart of Jesus Christ when he was sending his people into the world. And if you want a label, if you're big on labels, here's a label for you. Call yourself an ambassador. Call yourself an ambassador. Because you are, you, you can carry that label. It is a biblical label that you can carry. And so follow along as I read first or Second Corinthians chapter 5 and, and following. It says, for God was, with, uh, was, was in Christ. Again, that's God sending his son Christ. Christ is here reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. People are greater than their sins. Now, so I'm, I'm, in, in this whole thing of what we're talking about, is, is the fact that I'm not a label, I'm not a this or I'm not a that, is because some of those labels have baggage with them. I am a person that God loves. Reconciling the world against their sins and gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ ambassadors. We are ambassadors of his love. We're ambassadors of reconciliation. We are the ones who are going to carry the message that love is greater than hate. And we are going to be the ones that will initiate, be catalyst, if you will, to seeing love push out hate. We're going to be the ones who will be a part of the answers if we are the church and we live as we should be. This is why I say that Grace Point Church is a part of God's loving Northwest Arkansas. If we are doing what we ought to do as a church, then we ought to be the expression of God's love in this community. Take your Bibles. You get the old-fashioned kind like me. Uh, turn to Matthew chapter 16. If you've got the, the, new, the new fashion, uh, you can uh, turn it on and scroll it. Uh, or, as I heard one kid say recently, the Sky Bible. Uh, you can use the Sky Bible and, uh, and follow along. Now, this is six months prior to Jesus' going to the cross. So just to give you the context, it's in a, in a, in a little village 25 miles north of, north of Capernaum. Capernaum was where Jesus did the lion's share of his ministry. It was where he raised up many of his disciples, came from Capernaum. It was where Peter was from. I mean, so you can just see this is, this is the area, the region that Jesus did some of his greatest work. And this is just north in a place called Caesarea Philippi. It was there just back in March. It was a beautiful city that was dedicated to Herod Philip. And it was an area with springs and waters and mountains and cliffs and rocks. It was also a place of deep, dark religious, religious divides. We'll come to that in, in just a moment. And Jesus has this kind of Jerry, Jerry Maguire moment, if you will. If, and if you haven't seen that movie, get the edited version and watch the edited version. But nonetheless, uh, it's one of those movies that kind of gets you excited. And you have this kind of excitement building here because what happens is Jesus asks a couple of questions and, 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 and Peter gives a response. And then it's like, yes, that's it. And then, and then he gives two promises right behind it. I want you to see if you can find the questions. I want you to see if you can find the responses and the promises as I begin reading in verse 13. Now, when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, question number one, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say you're John the Baptist, others Elijah, others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And he said, but who do you say that I am? 
If you hadn't noticed that, that's the second question. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. That's no small statement. Let me just say this because this, is a, this has been a process. Jesus was just a guy who grew up in this area. This is just the guy, Capernaum is not far from Nazareth. And so he was just in that whole Galilean area. I mean, it was like counties. I mean, you, you, you heard of the guy, okay? Yeah, yeah, everybody knows everyone. Um, everyone's in everyone's business probably as well. The son of the living God and Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. Simon was his birth name. Bar is the Hebrew word for son. Jonah was the, the father's name. So he carried his father's name, Simon, the son of Jonah. Believed to be that he was from that Capernaum area uh, and also grew up in a fisherman's family. He goes on with the family business. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. He changes his name here. He's no longer Simon. He's now Peter. He's this rock. And on this rock, I will build my church. That's the first promise. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against. Here's the second promise. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he said this, a strange statement. Notice this. He strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. It wasn't time. That's all it was. Some people stumble on that verse. Why? It wasn't the time. He hadn't died. He hadn't been resurrected. There was a time. He had, they, had, they, they hadn't received that, the, the presence of the Holy Spirit. I said it happens in Acts chapter 2, or it was breathed on them in John 21. You know, so you have this, it's not, it's a perfect timing. It wasn't the time, but it's going to be at the time. And see, God has this plan. Jesus has this plan. God sends the Son, the Son sends the Spirit, and as the Spirit anoints us, we are sent into the world as the church. That's the church. That's why I'm saying I'm coming back to us today. Guys, if, if this isn't happening, it's because the church isn't, isn't happening. It's not happening in the church. It's not going to happen in our communities. We're going to have to be the ones who model this, live this. What are, what, what are the components of, of being ambassadors of love? Okay, what is Grace Point? If we're going to be an ambassador of love in our community, what does that look like? Well, there's a couple of things. Jot them down. Jesus Christ must be our foundation on which everything is built. It's built on Christ. Now, again, remember they're in Caesarea Philippi. What's going on in Caesarea Philippi? Archaeologists have uncovered no less than 16 different pagan temples in an area that's uncovered right now, and there could be more out there, but what's uncovered right now is no bigger than the plot of land that Grace Point Church sits on, and that there were 16 different pagan temples in that area, one of which was a place where they offered human sacrifices. Just imagine. Here's this place where there's a plethora of worship deities, where there's a plethora of options in which you can, you can turn to God. And Jesus, in the backdrop of this setting, he says this, who do people say that I am? What's, what's the Gallup study saying out there about me? What's the opinion polls saying about me? And guys and gals, if you haven't noticed, there's not a, there's not a consensus yet to this day on who Jesus is. You ask a Hindu... And they'll tell you that Jesus is, uh, 
He was uh, born uh, as a teenager. He lived uh, in the Holy Land, and he and he and he and he went over to uh, India, and he studied there. And he 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 was kind of this teenager, learned yogic meditations, and and he comes back to his Jewish culture in the first century, and he was kind of a first century Gandhi. That's what he is. He's just a first century Gandhi. And they value him and they, they look to him as, as one of just 330 million other gods. He's just one among many. You were to turn around and ask a Buddhist and Buddhism, Zen Buddhism, especially in across America, is growing. It's not just in Tibet. It's not just the Dalai Lama, but it's growing even in, in our own area. But if you were to talk to a Buddhist, they'll say Jesus and Buddha were brothers. How are they brothers? They were brothers because they had achieved universal love. They had separated themselves from all material and they had achieved universal love. And so Buddha and Jesus were brothers and oh, by the way, you can become like Buddha and you can become like Jesus. You just need to get to that stage of life. Jews, you pick up a educated Jews, Toledoth Jesu. The history of Jesus, a history book of the Jew, from the Jewish faith on, on looking out on who Jesus is. And they'll tell you this, that Jesus was the bastard child of a seduced Mary. Who that Jesus grew into having magical powers and practiced sorcery. That's who Jesus is. You ask a Muslim who Jesus is. He'll tell you he's just one of, the, one of the great prophets of old. He's not greater or lesser than Muhammad. He's just one of many, but by all means, he is not God. If you were to ask a, a Jehovah's Witness, now we're getting closer to home because maybe you know people or are related to people or, 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 or have friends that are Jehovah's Witnesses. What do they believe about Jesus? Again, what's the popular opinion out there? Jesus Christ was formerly an archangel, Michael, according to Jehovah's Witness. He came to earth simply as a man. He wasn't divine. He was merely a servant of Jehovah. He died a martyr's death, and he never rose again. So they would deny the resurrection of Christ and other things about Christ. Talk to our neighbors across the street, the Mormons, and you'll find that they believe that Mary and God had sexual relations one time. And Jesus was produced and that Jesus grew into Godhood and you too will grow into Godhood if you are a good Mormon. You ask a postmodernist, that's not an organized religion, that's just, that's just American culture today. They'll, they'll take any religion of the world, they'll mesh it together, they'll put it in a blender, they'll mix it up and they'll pour it into a cup and you can have whatever concoction of religion and faith that you want to have. That would be postmodernism in our day and age. You talk to a notional Christian. What's to distinguish between a notional Christian and a real follower of Christ is vastly different because a notional Christian, and some studies have said that it's like 44% of those who name the name of Christ or who call themselves Christians are really just notional Christians. That means they like the idea of Christ. They like the idea of following Jesus. If they take a survey, they're going to check off that I'm a Christian. But really, when you dive deep into their life, there's absolutely nothing about prayer, walking with God, seeking God, any other day of the week. It's not there. Notionally, though, they like the idea of being a Christian. Now, notice that Jesus asked this question to the masses. What do people say out there? You're John the Baptist. All these different opinions on who you are. And then he turns it around in verse 15. He says, but who do you 
Who do you say that I am? And that's when it gets personal. And that's what it has to be to, to, for you and I today. It has to be personal. Who is Jesus to you? Because that's really the, when the rubber meets the road, it doesn't really matter what, it's, what I think. It really doesn't matter what Lori thinks. It really, where, where's Jesus in your life? Who is Jesus in your life? What is he in your life? Because how you answer that's going to be humongous. But how we answer this as a church, because listen, we've said from the beginning that we want to be an authentic church for those who've given up on the church but haven't given up on God. And there's a lot of people who've given up on the church. They've been hurt. They've been bruised. They've been, they've been caught up in schisms and scandals. And, 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 and they've walked away. And what can we do? We can be the ambassadors of love in their life who can hopefully introduce them to the real Jesus not the notional Jesus. How can we be ambassadors of love? Here's just a couple of ways. And again, you can go through all the scriptures. Just love a stranger. Love somebody you don't have to love, but you love them because God's love is in you. Remember, the essence of God in 1 John is God is love. So if his essence is in you, then you have God's love in you. Then you're able to love even those who are unlovable. Love a stranger. Love a, love a refugee. Love an illegal immigrant. Love somebody who, who you wouldn't normally love. Love somebody of a different race. Walk across a line and, and love somebody. If you're straight, love somebody who's gay. Love them. Love somebody on the other side. See, what we could do is we could build bridges of love into people's lives that have pushed away and walked away from Christ. See, where do you get this, Mike? Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 19. God reminds the people of Israel that they were one-time refugees in a land of Egypt. Love the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. Love somebody different than you. Think about that. Start being creative. Start thinking about how can I build a bridge across a line, a racial line? How can I build a bridge across a socioeconomic line? How can I build a, a, a bridge across a religious line? How can I build a bridge across a moral line? How can I build a bridge? Think about that. We just finished Ramadan. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but some of y'all either work at Walmart, work for Walmart, or, or, or live in a neighborhood, or live in an apartment complex that have a Muslim friend. Growing number of people are having more and more Muslim friends, but they don't know what to do with them. What about this? What about asking your Muslim friend, Ramadan just finished, ask them, hey, what did God say to you? Did God speak anything to you during Ramadan? You know, did he say anything to you? You know, did, did, he, did you see any visions? Did you hear anything? Because a large number of those who are of the Islamic faith come to faith in Christ through dreams and visions. And when there's a heightened sense of spirituality, see, God's chasing them just like he chased you. Talk to a Hindu. Listen, Hindus have like 36 festivals in a year. You're probably going to hit one, one a month at least, all right? Ask them, next religious festival of a Hindu that you know. Hey, what did God say to you during this? Oh, he didn't say anything to me. Start a conversation about how God talks to you. Build a bridge of love. And sometimes building that bridge of love is not coming out with a confrontation, but coming out with a simple question. I value you. Tell me about your life, your faith, your beliefs. You're different than me. I can't love you. You're a stranger. I can't be with you. No, 
love a stranger. Build the bridge of love. Number two, to people who are morally broken and bankrupt. Anybody know you know anybody like that? Lost and trapped in, 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 in just a lifestyle that's just broken and, and, and nasty. Listen, we've all been there. Listen, we can point our fingers at the different uh, uh, sexual orientations and we can point our fingers at, at the different groups over there, but we forget our own lifestyle over here, our own materialism, our, our own gluttony, our own, uh, our own way of living. Listen, what we need to do is we need to realize we're broken and God loved us in our brokenness. How can I build a bridge of love to someone who's broken? God shows his love for us, Romans 5, 8. God shows his love for us. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners. See, we see the best of God in our worst of moments. Think about it. We see the best of God in our worst moments. Him still loving us even when shame and guilt and gross and filth have covered us. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other. For love covers a multitude of sins. Listen, the love I speak of, the love that's greater than hate, the love that's going to push out the darkness, the love that's going to push out the hate is not some Pollyanna love. It's not just some tolerance kind of love. It, listen, Jesus, did he call the woman caught in adultery? Did he call her out to a better lifestyle? Absolutely. Did he love her? He didn't pick up on a stone and throw it at her, even though the Jews wanted her to. Listen, he, he embraced her and he called her sin out and he loved her because he separated her out from the label of an adulterous woman to call her a person and loved her in her personhood. See, when we can build a bridge of love across whatever is the divide, then I think we are on our way. And you know, you, you read 1 Corinthians 13, chapter on love. We all know it, but you got to understand it in its context. Chapter 12 is talking about the gift of spirit. Chapter 14 is talking about the gifts. And, 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 and right in the middle of all these, the, the, this church has the gifts of God. Right in the middle, there's love. See, everything that we do in ministry, everything that we do in our community, everything that we do for the nations, everything that we do, if it's not caked and baked and saturated in love and has the vein of love flowing through it, then we are nothing but judgmental hypocrites who are missing it. 1 Corinthians 13, out of the message, says it like this. If I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy, it sounds like a pretty good uh, person to, to hear sing from the stage, but I don't love. I'm nothing but a creaky old rusty gate. If I speak with the word of God with power and revealing all the mysteries and making everything plain as, as day, that sounds like a great preacher. I want to I I listen to that guy. And if I have the faith that says to this mountain, jump, and it jumps, and, and I don't have love, I'm nothing. If I give everything I own to the poor, I mean, this is talking about a person who gives up everything, sacrifices, talking about a, a self-servant kind of guy, even, even go to the stake and be burned, talking about a commitment level and sacrifice, and I don't love, I've gotten nowhere. No matter what I say, what I believe, or what I do, I am bankrupt without love. See, love changes you it changes your home. It changes your marriage. It changes how you interact with your kids, how you neighbor your neighbors, how you 
function at work and how you coach the little league teams and how you relate with people at the gym. It affects every way because you're constantly building bridges of love. And some religions out there, they don't have that. Tragic, tragic event happened in Mumbai, India in November 2008. You may remember it. You can Google it. All the pictures are there. Islamic extremists stormed into the historic Taj Mahal Hotel in Mumbai, India. The oldest hotel in India opened in 1903, the most expensive hotel in all of India to stay in. It is the I was say the Taj Mahal. It's the top of the line uh, a hotel. Uh, movies, actors, politicians stay there. And on this night, this, these gunmen walk into the storm into the, the banquet hall and just start killing everyone in sight. 167 people later, they leave. And um, there's one survivor. The one survivor was pulled. He was an actor. He was a Bollywood actor. And he was pulled down to the ground by the people at the table with him. And when he was fall, fell down on the ground, somebody fell over on top of him. And he just laid down there, everybody screaming. And the guns were going off. And people were dying. And they asked him, why do you think you lived when everyone else died? And I want to read his exact words, an exact quote. I guess I was covered in someone else's blood. And they thought I was dead. This is a perfect metaphor for Jesus. Jesus violently died to build a bridge of love so that you and I could live. And if that's not the foundation of this church, and if that's not the foundation of your faith, and that's not the foundation of life, you will never know the love of God that pushes out hate that sets you free and me free. Jesus Christ is our foundation. Jesus Christ is our foreman. Jesus introduces a new concept here. He says, I will build my church. That's the first promise out of the two questions that he asked. First promise is, I will build my church. Now, this is kind of a, a different phrase because, again, the, the church was not a new term. It was this called-out group of people. They would use it in other contexts. Other, so it wasn't a new term in that, but it was new in the gospel. It's in the narratives. And, and it goes on and obviously sticks. And here we are today with it some uh, centuries later. He said, I will build my church. But the interesting thing is that Paul talks about building. He uses the same metaphor, but he talks about him building. Now notice this. Paul said, I laid a foundation as an expert builder. Someone else is building on it, but each one should be careful how he builds. So who's building, Paul or Jesus? And the answer is yes. See, the answer is yes is because Jesus is the foreman and we are the builders. We are the church, okay, and it's his idea, it's his plan, it's his design, and we are the ones who are getting our hands dirty. We're the ones who are, who are doing the love thing. We're the ones who, the, who are the direct expression of the identity of God as we bear his image, also as we, uh, as we uh, live with his spirit living inside of us. We are the ones in this world, I, we have a purpose statement around here that we have a great commitment, the great commandment, the great commission to build a great church for a great God. A lot, a lot of greats in there. But the point is this, is I've had people push back on, hey, what are you doing building a great church? You're not building a great church. God builds his church. I said, yes, he does. It's his plan. 
but we're the builders. We're the, one, we're the ones who are, who are doing the work here, empowered by him, working for him. And how, how do we do our work? We do our work when we become the expression of love. Jesus even said, they will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. It's loving the world outside, but it's loving each other inside and let's loving each other well. This past Tuesday, I was having my time with the Lord and I just finished up studying First Peter. So the natural thing to do is go to Second Peter. That's what I did. I started reading Second Peter. And I myself have been dealing with some, my own little depression. Not bad, but bad enough that I called on my one another brothers to pray for me. And um, I was reading First Peter, Second Peter that day. I didn't get past verse 2. Verse 2 says this. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. I said, yes, God. That's what I want. Grace, grace and peace. My soul needs it. My nation needs it. I know I got some friends that need it. I know some marriages that need it. I need it, God. I need grace and peace. Multiplied to you. Multiplied. I don't need I don't need a thimble full of I, I I don't need it added to my account. I need exponential. Multiplied. Okay, God, that's what I want. That's what I need. Thank you. Through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. See what Baton Rouge, Louisiana needs? And there's churches on every corner. What they need is they need the church to come together. Black churches and white churches, Hispanic churches and Catholic churches and Baptist churches, they need to come together. And they say, brothers, we are going to love one another. We are going to show love. We're going to be a seed of love. We're going to be the presence of love. And you know, we need to do that in our own community. We need to do that in where God has planted us so that Grace and peace would be multiplied. It's not going to be multiplied in some random uh, Petri dish out there. It's going to be happening when the knowledge of God and Jesus Christ is added. See, it comes back to Jesus again and again and again. He's our foundation. He's our form, but he's also our future. Verse 19, he goes on. He talks futuristic here. He talks about how the gates of hell will not prevail against it. This is why I'm such a big proponent of the church is that the church will not die. It will, this church may not live, but listen, the church of Jesus Christ will go on and I want to be a part of a church that will go on. I want to lead. I want to be a part. I want to follow. I want to serve in. I want to invest in a church that will move forward, that the gates of hell won't prevail. Let's pray that that happens, that we will press forward and we will march on into the future. In this Caesarea Philippi, you go there today, you still see hewn into the mountain of this of this rock. I don't know what kind of rock it is, but it's just hewn into this into this in this is this deep cave that used to be there, where they offered human sacrifices. And the and the archaeologists believe that that is what they would refer to maybe as the gates of hell. 
Because this was the gates of death. It's where they went for human sacrifices. And, and Jesus says, listen, the gates of hell are not going to prevail. Death will not conquer my church. There's a future with my people. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. I went and dug up that, that phraseology this week. You go back to the Mishnah, you go back to the Qumran community, and you find it as a, it's kind of like an invitation. It's an invitation to be a part of the Qumran community. Here he's saying, listen, I'm going to give you the keys. 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 Every one of you who are a follower of mine, you're going to have the keys. And when you have keys, you have access, you have authority, but you also have accountability. You're going to be held accountable because we can bring people into the kingdom of God. We can help people find life and, and hell. We can, we can defeat the gates of hell from storming into our lives. The problem, so many churches. I feel with Philip Yancey, the far, far, far too many abandon their quest for Jesus entirely repelled by the church. They never make it to Jesus. Let's not be that church. Fifteen years ago, I shared this message, and I've shared it every year since, since we've started. It's the very first message that I shared with the founding families in a little living room on Nita Road in Rogers, and I shared it then, I share it now. And I can remember back in, when we were starting Grace Point, the, uh, <clears throat> the struggle of finding, because it wasn't as cool then to start churches as it is now. You use lots of networks and lots of help out there. And I was groping, man, I was groping big time. And I found a 60-year-old man who'd started a church in Frisco, Texas named Chuck Swindoll. Now he had 100 people. And he started with 100 people. And they met on their very first night. They met on Sunday night. And he shared this, this challenge with them. And I, and I listened to it. I, I don't think we downloaded it at that time. I had to have it on tape. And listened to it. And this is what he said. October 14, 1998. I want to say it to you today, and hopefully this is what you want to be a part of. All of us are here tonight because all of us are interested in beginning a ministry, one that has never existed before. But by the grace of God, by the grace of God, we'll outlive all of us. I hope to God that we're a part of a movement that will outlive us, that will go further than us because we are ambassadors of the love of God. And when there is darkness, we shine light. And when there's flavorless light, we are the salt. And whenever, whenever there is hate, we are the love that let our life breathe life. Let our love replace hate and let our hope replace loss. May we be that community. I close with one final story, sadly, strangely appropriate, considering everything that's going on in our land. This happened back in 1998, but uh, Marilyn Deneen showed up at church after on April 26th in Edinburgh, Pennsylvania. She went to a school dance, that school-sponsored dance, and, and a a guy randomly, well, not guy, a student. His name was Andrew. His nickname was Satan, of all things. He was 14 years old. He walks into the school dance, pulls out a gun, and begins to shoot people. John Gillette, who was a science biology teacher in the school, jumps in front, tackles the guy, brings him down to the ground. He is killed through, through that act of sacrifice. 
But Marilyn showed up at the front door of the church and she walks in and she said this to the person who greeted her at the door. She said, I don't usually, I don't usually come. But today I needed something. I needed to be with people who believed in something. There's something about death and there's something about hate that robs us, sucks out of us meaning, substance, life. And even though Marilyn didn't have the right words, and even though we can parse and pick apart her statement, she didn't say, I need Jesus. She said, I need to believe in something. You know what? She was longing and she was looking, and there are people that are in our communities that are longing and looking, and and we are the ones who are the carriers of love, the love of God. And if we don't carry love in our community, who will? Who will? And that's the value of the church. We are the gift of Jesus to Northwest Arkansas and the world.